Welcome to The Downline, the official podcast for the Association of Diving Contractors International. With ADCI Executive Director Phil Newsom, Board Member Gary Jones, and Commercial Diver Armando Gonzalez. Join us as we dive into the latest news in the dive industry worldwide. Welcome to The Downline, your place for commercial diving industry news. Today, our host, Mr. Phil Newsom, Executive Director of the ADCI, and co-host Gary Jones of Broco Inc. and Armando Gonzalez of the Bottom Dwellers are here to talk with Olaf Olson of the Carpenters Union. Uh, before we get into this, I would like to thank our sponsor of this episode, Dryden Diving Company, who's been serving Delaware River Ports since 1979. If you need commercial diving, ship husbandry, marine construction, or marine survey work, uh, even millwright mechanical work, please contact Dryden Diving. They're also a Carpenters Union member. And thank you again for sponsoring this episode. All right, guys, let's get right into it. I sure do. So I want to thank Olaf uh, for taking the time to join us. Olaf is the representative at uh, Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters. Um, Prior to that, he's with dock builders, divers, and pile drivers. Uh, So Olaf, uh, again, I really appreciate you being here, kind of chop it up with us about... uh, the association and association's uh, relationship with UBC. And, you know, I'm, I'm just going to jump right into it. But, you know, we've got a lot of contractors. And I would say for those contractors who are not familiar with the UBC and are suspicious of the relationship between the UBC and the ADCI, what message would you like to give them? Well, good morning, everyone. And and Phil, thank you very much for the opportunity to be able to participate uh, on your podcast. I think it's extremely important that the UBC continues to spread its mission and message of partnership and collaboration, especially when it comes to to diving. So as far as the the relationship that we have with uh, the ADCI is a very strong one. And essentially, it started many, many years ago when we were, we started to attend the underwater intervention conference down in New Orleans. And it was interesting because when we first started to do that, uh, you know, traditionally those contractors didn't have labor affiliation and they, they looked at us and like, you know, what are you guys doing here? So, (laughs) So we, we understood it, we got it. And, you know, as the years progressed and at the time, Bobby Lauferberg, who started to cultivate a very strong working relationship with you, Phil, kind of broke down those barriers and that and those suspicions. And again, at the end of the day, the, the UBC is, is a proud labor organization. It's about 140 years old plus. Uh, we represent approximately one-third of the commercial divers in the United States. And we're very proud of that. And again, the partnership that we have with with you, Phil, and the ADCI has been a very beneficial one for our, not just our members, but our contractors. So the, the suspicions that any contractor out there has or might have regarding the, the affiliation uh, that we have with you and the friendship that we have with you, they, they should not be worried at all about that. 
uh, again, there, there are a lot of non-union contractors that operate in the United States that their employees are very, very happy with working with them. Uh, this is not about um, an adversarial relationship. This is about the UBC and showcasing and displaying our talented people that perform every day in the industry, and we're very proud of that. So, I, again, I, I think that it clearly showed when you guys had your board meeting out at the ITC several weeks ago, and you guys have a really good representation as far as a good mix of both uh, UBC dot contractors and uh, contractors that are not signatory or not union. So we will co we'll continue to strengthen the relationship that we, we have with you, Phil, and the DCI and any partners that you might have that have an interest in the UBC and what we're doing, the progressive things. And I use the word progressive in a right connotation <laughs> because nowadays it seems to be taken out of context a little bit, but over the last several years, and again, going back to what Bobby Luffenberg was able to do and building a very strong uh, relationship with you and the association, we're going to continue to do that. I'd like to piggyback on that and say from an association standpoint, um, we very much value, and I, I think we've come a long way in terms of folks within the association becoming more educated with what the mission of the UBC is and really its benefit to just the commercial diving industry period, not just necessarily its members, but, you know, our relationship between UBC and ADCI was really based fundamentally on diver safety. And that was it. And that was our focus on our end, on your end. And we kind of kept everything else. Any other uh, agendas or proprietary issues, that was checked at the door. And that really enabled us to sit down and kind of hammer down and really explore what are all of the different things that we can mutually help each other with. And I would say, you know, you mentioned Bob and I'd also mention uh, Frank Spencer, they were really instrumental initially and in that we, we kind of kicked this thing off in about 2014 in earnest. And it's just grown massive legs since then. I give a lot of credit to folks like um, Don Dryden, who kept banging the drum, at least from an ADCI board standpoint, about how we needed to engage and we needed to come into this thing with a clear lens. And he was absolutely right. And I, here we are now in 2023. Um, I've got a series of other questions that I have because now we're at a point where uh, we have our supervisor exam being administered at the International Training Center in, in Vegas. Uh, and it's preceded by a workshop to educate those divers on what they need to know, or uh, supervisors on what they need to know prior to taking the exam. Um, they've helped us out with scrubbing the exam and looking at whether or not is this a good question or isn't a good question. And no one saw these takeaways and all of these other uh, soft items that came about through our growing relationship. Um, but now here we are. And uh, we're, we're looking at things like the school. And so I, I guess that would be the next thing I would want to kind of segue to is, 
you know, how's the association assisted the UBC um, with commercial diver training? You guys have been remarkable. And again, the, the, the approach that the UBC took and also with the Eastern District, the Eastern District is comprised of three councils. North Atlantic, North Atlantic States, New York City District Council of Carpenters, and the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters. So over the last, as you know, probably, I guess, eight years or so that we were looking high and far and anywhere we could possibly locate a facility that we would be able to train uh, and bring new divers in into the industry and into the, uh, into the ranks, uh, rank and file of the BBC. The eight, the to give you a little back, background on that, the council, Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, the council that I work for, who uh, William Spruill is the executive secretary treasurer. And, and again, Bill has been phenomenal in being ahead of the curve and understanding the needs of the diving industry, not just for his members, but also for the contractors. So we, we came across a facility down in uh, Southern New Jersey, Sicklerville, that was for sale. And we went down, took a look at it, and we sent a couple pictures to Bill Spruill. And Bill was immediately um, very excited about the opportunity. And he said, put together a team and go get it, right? Because he knew how important it was, not just for his, his divers and tenders and dock builders, because we'll be training dock builders there also is that he put together a team and we went and pursued it. We were very fortunate to be able to get it. It was basically turnkey. Uh, it was, you know, I, you know, it's a couple million dollars investment in climbing, which is, you know, we don't like to put a, a price tag on training because it's just incredibly valuable to make sure we're, we're training to the highest standards. So when that came, came about, you know, obviously we reached out to you guys and you have been there every step of the way to be able to help and guide us get to the point where we're actually going to probably be completing the final piece of the audit, I believe, in September. And your staff and your crew has been very, very helpful and beneficial. We greatly appreciate that. Well, I'm here to tell you I was there, what was it, maybe about 10 days ago for... Uh, a meeting and um, had a chance to visit since the first open house. And I can see all of the investment and, and the changes and the revisions. I was at that school uh, for a chapter meeting when it was run by former ownership. And uh, I'm here to tell you that the improvements that you all have made since acquiring that facility, it, it's it's incredibly noticeable. Um, and I'm excited at the fact that you're looking to go ahead and incorporate an ROV training program as well underneath that umbrella. So um, hats off to you. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for it to, uh, for the opening of it, even though it's Specifically for union divers, it's just a good thing, period, for industry. So, I, I truly believe you're right. And again, it's, it's, I hate to say, you know, always to split the, the baby down the middle as far as to say the, the union side to the non-union side. We look at it as, like you just said, Phil, very good for the industry, right? Especially on the East Coast, especially in the Northeast, where over the last several years, there has been a lack of 
ADCI uh, facilities providing new divers to the industry. So this, this class in September will probably have uh, a class of 12 and then hopefully uh, North Atlantic states and along with New York City will be running classes of 12. So hopefully we'll have about 36 new divers, uh, ADCI entry level divers coming into the industry every year which is really, really something else because essentially we, we need it. The contractors have been saying, we're really excited about the training and the investment that you guys are making and the partnership you have with the ATCI, but can you do it sooner? Because <laughs> we need divers now. So we're doing pretty good as far as maintaining all of our contractors' needs uh, as far as commercial divers uh, and tenders, but it is shrinking. So the, these classes come at a very good time, along with the fact that all of the, uh, the good things and progressive things and the way we have built a relationship with you and your contractor members is something special. Because at the end of the day, it gives us an opportunity to break down the stigma of organized labor. And for a long time, unfortunately, because people have been fed uh, misinformation. And again, it's, it goes back on either side. And then when you're at these different functions with your contracting members, it's a good opportunity for us to be able to introduce ourselves and to show them what we're doing as far as the industry. And when we walk away, we, we hear always good feedback and say, Hey, you know, those guys were, were, were pretty cool, right? They talked about the industry and we don't have a heavy handed approach. If a contractor sees the value in the UBC and the Eastern district, uh, divers, we always, we have a big tent. We're an organizing union and the things that we're doing right now, as far as the proof is in the pudding, along with the dive school, uh, we are partnered with UPenn in Philadelphia with Dr. Lambert, who is now they are performing uh, real ADCI qualified uh, fit to dive physicals for our divers because that was the other thing at the open house for the dive school. Some of the contractors approached DSD Sproul and said, we need to have uh, real diver physicals. So again, ESD Sproul jumped into action immediately, put the team together, and we partnered through uh, a company called Commerce Construction, uh, another very large um marine contracting business along with divers and tenders. And now we're offering those uh, diver physicals, legit diver physicals to the members without any co cost associated with it. So. Oh, if I did have a question, yeah. Yeah, sure. is that uh, is that a trial program or is that going to go nationwide? Um, I know the, the contractors are asking me if they were going to be able to have that benefit on the West Coast or anything like that. Uh, you, Gary, you mean the physicals? Yeah, the physicals. So that's a good question. So obviously the divers out of the local have to have an updated physical every year, right? That's something that's mandated to our contractors and, and also in our collective bargaining agreement. So what ESD Sproul saw a need through the contractors, you know, raising this to him, this is not a trial run or this is not just something that we're going to look to see if it's going to be beneficial for six months. This is a, a long-standing commitment through the union because the union is actually picking up the costs associated with it. So that's permanent. And what we're what we're doing now in the Eastern District, there's two other councils. And just to give you a little number, 300 plus divers work and live within the Eastern District. 
and that's the Northeast. So there's a lot of opportunity for growth for UPenn to be able to offer these diphysicals. So we see the whole Eastern District participating and at least sending the members that live close by to UPenn and then actually getting some of the contractors uh, in the Midwest to utilize this. So we're, we're opening the doors and we're kind of just recreating or, or building a better wheel. But these are the things that the employers need, uh, have needed for quite some time. So the, yeah, the answer is this is permanent. This is, some, this is a, a another very progressive thing that ESD School has done. We're very proud of that. So, Okay, and so with this physical, they'll only need one dive physical and that's good for whatever company they go to? Or are they going to, is the new contractor going to need a, a second physical to, again? Or how does that work? So most, most of the time, right, we require divers to have an annual physical, a, a legit fit to dive physical, right? So if you look at some of the divers in the past that went to a, uh, you know, a GP and said, um, hey, and, and by the way, I, I'm a diver and I need you to write a prescription for me or something on your pad that says I'm fit to dive. And this, this happened, right? And we saw this, we saw this obviously as it, um, uh, a need for to have a diver, right? Have the ability to go to a facility that's obviously providing ADCI compliant physicals. So yes, they have to have one per year. So if a diver gets a physical from Dr. Lambert's team in uh, Philadelphia at UPenn, that would be good for, for that particular diver for the year. So he could provide that fit to dive from UPenn to contractor A in January, to contractor B in June, and to contractor C in December. And, and I would just quickly add that our uh, PDAC, our Physicians Diving Advisory Committee, has already vetted and validated that. So if you were to have one of those physicals, and let's just say somebody wanted to go, and now I'm going to work for an offshore contractor in the Gulf of Mexico, and they produced that physical, that would be accepted right off the bat. So that, it's kind of nice that now at least we don't have any gaps in terms of, all right, if you get a physical there, it translates into a physical over here, regardless of the fact that you're going from, say, inland to offshore or union to non-union. That doesn't matter at all. So, um, Armando, you're a union member. And uh, did, did you have anything you wanted to ask or, or kind of you're looking through a lens that's a little bit different than mine or, and Gary's? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I I was in the uh, Carpenters Union for, uh, well, actually over 10 years. I started off in the acoustical trades as a topside, you know, finished carpenter, and then uh, ended up later on coming back into the Carpenters Union as a commercial diver. And uh, I was there for 10 years with the Pile Drivers Union, and then, uh, you know, went to the city, and then now I'm in the engineering business. But, uh, so I do have a good union pedigree, and... um a lot of people are afraid of the unions. Um, it's it, and, and you hear the same old tired story as far as they, they take my money. The dues are too much, you know, or, you know, we can't compete. The small businesses can't compete with it. Um, let's focus a little bit more on like, you know, why the unions are there. Uh, Olaf, why is it, is a union needed in your opinion? 
I mean, it's why, not an opinion. Good but. question. <laughs> Thank you. It's kind of in my DNA. So uh, good question. And I just want to backtrack a little bit because especially within the last year or two, you've seen some real highlighted national press on major companies that are going through the processes of negotiating a collective buying agreement, UPS being one, and thank God it was resolved. It's going to be a good contract for both UPS and its workers. The UAW, you've seen Starbucks. There's been a lot of organizing drives with Starbucks. So, you know, there, there's a process for this. And again, if you look at certain industries, the, the union movement is actually strong and it's getting stronger. And there's other sectors of the uh, uh, of of businesses and companies that that are seeing the decline in it. So my number one question to individuals that are engaged in carpentry or construction or commercial diver commercial diving is how are you being treated? You know, what are your wages? What are your benefits? What are your conditions? Is it a safe place to work? Is, are you offered promotion? Are you offered journeyman upgrade? Stuff like that. So again, it's kind of like the dues question. It's, all right, so if on average, unionized divers and tenders probably earn in different areas 30 to 35% higher than their non-union counterparts, which is a good thing, right? Individuals that work hard, they, they, uh, they put it on the line every day. They deserve to be paid a fair wage. And in a lot of cases in different states, prevailing wage and or Davis-Bacon. So number one, there are, there are contractors out there. Uh, and again, I, it's it's hard coming. <laughs> People say, I can't believe a union guy is saying that there's uh, contractors out there that take care of their employees. There are. There, they certainly are. And I've, you know, over my 38 years, and, and close to 20 years of, of being a rep, I've come across contractors, dive contractors uh, in the Northeast that take very good care of their divers. And we have a great relationship with them. Occasionally we go to a job and say, hey, how's it going? Are you getting paid, you know, prevailing wage, this and that. But overall, if you look within the construction industry and especially on the carpentry side, it is doggy dog. And interior systems for the Carpenters Union is a constant struggle combating payroll fraud, wage theft, workman comp fraud. Uh, you know, there's a whole list of, of things that impact a certain economy and a certain market. And the Carpenters Union, uh, through General President McCarran and the other ESTs from the other councils, every day are trying to combat this and fighting it, right? Engaged in uh, investigations, working with attorney generals, uh, working with DAs. So depends on the industry. For, for me, I always want to be able to speak to an individual that's working in the field to see how they're being treated. And again, most of the time when individuals have a question, and the whole thing is when you're building that relationship with that worker that's contemplating on becoming a member or going through the process of becoming a member, you have to be very transparent with that individual. Because when I started in 2000, I was an organizer for nine years and I ran a lot of campaigns. I had some successful campaigns and I had some campaigns that were not because of the employers. But at the end of the day, if you are able to articulate the value and the benefits to that individual and to their family, 
that at the end of the day, they're working very hard to put it, they're putting it all on the line every day. But at the end of the day, they have medical coverage for themselves and their wives and their families. And they also have a future. They have a future because they have a pension. They have a 401k, right? They have an annuity. They have vacation. You know, it's, it's, it's frightening and it's sad to think that there are a lot of people out there, a lot of working people that go to bed every night knowing that they're probably going to have to work until they die. That's scary. That's, that's scary. But at the end of the day, that, that's some of the, and again, this is not all, all contractors. I'm certainly not lumping all contractors in because there are a lot of good construction contractors that are not signatory. Just, it, you know, it's just true. It, it's the fact. But most of the contractors you see that are in an industry, and it's like they talk about the chuck in the truck is a lot of diving contractors say, hey, you know what, listen, this this guy came in and he, he bid 40% under my bid. What can you do? We can do a lot. And that's the other thing that the UBC is engaged every day, politically, legislatively. You know, Phil, you mentioned offshore wind before. A lot of the developers came to us uh, looking for help and navigate through the political channels about that. But, you know, we're very proud of of the outreach and the organizing that the UBC does has been doing for 140 years. And we will always maintain that if you are working within the trade of carpentry, interior systems, diving, dock building, there, there, is, there is a better way of life for you as a union member. So, well, I, I, I really appreciate your question. It's a little long winded, but <laughs> no, no, I'm, 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 I'm glad you did take the, the time to respond to that and to answer that because, you know, I'm here to tell you that you're absolutely right. I mean, there are contractors and I can rattle them off that are not, are non-union shops, but they have created a culture within their own company where folks just feel like it's family. And, you know, when you have something like that, you probably don't need to have an external source or a third party because you're checking all of those boxes because you want to, because you understand the importance of trust for folks that are out there representing your brand out in the field. It's really not high math. But it is something that we still, even in 2023, have to contend with contractors that, you know, may not pay their folks on time, um, you know, that just kind of drop the ball in terms of checking all the boxes from a safety standpoint uh, before, during and after the operation. And so, yeah, there are there, there are some deltas that are there, but there are a lot of success stories, too, with contractors that are. Um, you know, non-union shops. So I, I really appreciate you you throwing that into the mix because we we do have a lot of diversity in in, in that regard. Um, and I also wanted to point out you you touched upon it. I it's looking at what the relationship between ADCI and UBC is, um, and and. How can, you know, folks will ask, well, what's in it for ADCI? Well, what's in it for us from the standpoint of increased diver safety, regardless of who is, you know, who, who's involving themselves in that? If you are 
committed to that and you're passionate about that, whether you're union or non-union, you're going to have a place at the table. And at least from an ADCI standpoint, you're going to have a place at the table. And as we start to look at things like you had mentioned the renewables, and you and I have talked about this, um, this is an area I think where uh, obviously it's on the association's radar, but I really think that this is a particular area and item where no one entity alone can kind of broach the fact that we have a good number of U.S. divers that are unable to work some of these wind projects when they're sitting right in our waters off the coast, East Coast and the West Coast, which is um, completely unacceptable. And so this is going to be an issue to work. But it's an issue that from an association standpoint, we will be looking to the UBC to assist us with that, whether UBC, ADCI, AMSA, some of these other, uh, you know, associations and entities here in the U.S., which coming together is going to give us a lot stronger voice um, when we take our message to the Hill and say, hey, look, this, we, we can't go, and I'll just use this, we can't go to Norway, to the North Sea, or we can't go to the North Sea and the UK side and just start working in their waters. You know, there are things that prohibit that, which allow for their divers to be able to, to do that type of work. And that, that, I see nothing wrong with that. That's right. Okay, yeah. Your waters, your guys. Our waters, our guys. And... So we've, we, we have some politics that we need to get through. Um, you know, I know some of it is under the guise of available assets and who are the primes when where are the primes coming from and everything else. But I think we're all astute enough here to know that when you peel some of those layers off, it really comes down to folks wanting to insulate things and look out for parties that maybe they're familiar with working with in the past, um, or we want to get our guys this work because things are kind of drying up in other parts of the world. So I really wanted to get that in. And I want folks that are uh, going to be listening to the podcast to know that the best is yet to come in terms of the working relationship between the association and, and UBC. Yeah, just, just to jump in there real quick, I'm sorry. Um, uh, we know that the ADCI and the unions, specifically UBC, did have a rocky past. So we're, we're not glossing over that. You know, this is not an enemy of my enemy is my friend type of situation. This is just times have changed. You know, there's more common ground. Uh, there's no thawing out. It's just times have changed. And uh, yeah, we do have a common enemy, which is uh, foreign labor. You know, let's just put that right out there. Am I correct in saying that, Olaf and Phil? Oh, you're you're, you're spot on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, Olaf. You know, okay. you know that this is a this this is a big one for me because I get the calls and you get the calls. And I went to to this school just here ten days ago to talk about ROVs and what did things segue into this particular topic. So it's something that uh, it's in our face and it's an item to be addressed and it, it's not going to just go away. It's going to have to be an issue to work. 
Because if we don't take this on and address it, then the folks that are benefiting from it, they're, they're not going to make any noise about it. And so it has to be brought before, before the Hill so that folks like the Coast Guard and OSHA um, are actively involved and, and can go ahead and put their mandates in terms of what that needs to look like in the future as far as um, employment and, and access to work in U.S. waters for U.S. divers. I, I think you hit it on the head there, um, Phil. The other thing is I would, I would probably describe it not so much as an enemy, but a policy that needs to be changed. So, and again, this, this kind of goes back to the value of the partnership with the ADCI and any other association that has with the UBC and their ability, because we fight. We love to fight on behalf of our members and we love to fight on behalf of our contractors, stabilizing the industry. And this, this goes back to, you know, talking about the benefits of a, of a non-union contractor that works in an area that has prevailing wage. And that's something that the UBC fights for every day. So Phil and I have had these conversations before. And, and again, it's, you know, we've, the UBC has been focused on wind for quite some time. And we were excited about it. Don't get me wrong. We're still excited about it. But it is, and I will not mention any developers by name or any contractors by name, but at, <laughs> at the end of the day, our I obligation, may. I may. <laughs> no, yeah. our obligation as the UBC is to make sure we're protecting the interests of our members, you know, therefore our, contra our contracting partners and their families. But it has been so frustrating because at the end of the day, Offshore for a diver, a tender, a pile driver to work offshore, and please don't take this the wrong way to, to anyone listening to this podcast, is suggesting that I am not for additional training for safety. We are. But when the goalposts continue to move constantly every day, and we see this change every day from developer to developer to developer, and the poor contractors are scrambling to keep up with this and say, they, we get calls every day. No bullshit. I'm sorry. We get calls every day. So we do the very best that we can to engage the developers and say, guys, you need to be more transparent. And there are some developers that are a little bit better than others, but the, pro the project in Brooklyn, I'll leave it at that. It's a wharf project and it's a, uh, it's a European developer that is mandating contractors that have been working in the New York Harbor for over a hundred years safely and taking care of their employees and our members and paying them a decent wage and taking care of them on the safety issue. Now this developer is suggesting that that's not good enough. And now you're gonna to have to be, we're gonna mandate that you be held to the Norwegian dive standards. You're like, what is that? So, right. So, you know, our local dive contractors call us up. And again, this is the benefit of partnering with the UBCs because when there are issues, not just on a job, but legislatively, locally, we engage with elected officials, governors, U.S. senators. So 
talking with a couple contractors after that because it's going to be a union job. So I talked with one company that's a very large company in the United States. And I asked them, I said, can you qualify to this standard? He says, yeah, sure we can. But it's going to be a lot more money and it's not necessary. So again, it's like Phil's, to Phil's point, it's that we get it that Europeans have been building offshore wind farms you know, since the 1900s or yeah, 19, early, right, early 2000s. So, but at the end of the day, if you are continuously changing the rules and moving to goalposts, and it seems to be very cynical because their MO was always to come into the United States and to be able to give the, the local contractors the intro work. The, the, these are the intentions of the developers going back eight years, seven, eight years, nine years, is that they never intended to have tradesmen and women offshore. That's the truth. Has it changed? Sure it has. It's changed basically because of, of the engagement of the UBC and, and Phil and his team to say, listen, we, we appreciate the fact that you guys are well-versed in doing this, but we have this. We know how to build. We know how to dive safely. We can, we can do this, right? And again, there's a little bit of a learning curve, but when we Phil, when we hear this every day from contractors and it's frustrating because when a guy tells you, yeah, we could do it, it's going to cost a lot more money. You know, there, there, was, there was another contractor that was doing a job and he actually had to go into the water and he had to send uh, his crew to STCW training. And again, I am not opposed. Trust me, I am not opposed. I am a firm believer along with the UBC leadership and Eastern District Council, Eastern Atlantic States. Training is important. Safety training is important. But to go for this additional training when you are operating in a creek that's four and a half feet deep, is it? Is it really though? So it's if you are a conspiracy theorist, which I tend not to try to get down sucked into that rabbit hole is that you think that they're trying to lay the groundwork to make it a lot easier for, for chosen contractors that are not domiciled to the United States. And we fight this every day. And if they continue to talk about generating and creating the next generation of, of, of a work an American workforce, we're with you. We're on board. But as we see every day, and it's a, trust me, it's a fight. It's a fight every day for these spots on these vessels. Either pile drivers or millwrights or divers or carpenters. It's a fight. It's a struggle. And it's, I, I just don't know why. But Phil is absolutely right. I've uh, had this discussion with ESD Scroll. Uh, we had a we had a, a conference call uh, earlier in a week about this with the Eastern District regarding the educating uh, of the local officials, um, U.S. senators, uh, Congress people to let them know what's going on. And again, we're not we're not suggesting that we're at war with the, any, anyone or any developer. It's just that we're frustrated because our, our contractors continuously are being put at a disadvantage and that means our members are being put at a disadvantage because of of the changing rules and and, and our members as well be so you're getting the calls 
I'm getting the calls and they're the same thing. As a matter of fact, on Thursday, uh, or I should say Friday, I received a call um, from John and, and he just wanted me to be aware of another prime, another company that was also moving the goalpost, so to speak. And while I'm like you, I don't get caught up in conspiracy theories. I, you know, some people have said, well, you know, they, they only care about MK. MK has nothing to do with this. These are the people that are, this is the end user. This is the client. This is not another trade association. This, these are folks from Norway and from Denmark. And, you know, I, I would just simply say when you, even if you aren't a conspiracy theorist, if you keep moving the goalpost and you don't exhibit a certain degree of transparency in, in this process of bidding and obtaining uh, contracts, then how are you to not think that you're trying to stand in the way of certain people working for you? I mean, that's a hard sell. If you keep moving the goalposts and you're not transparent about why and what it actually takes to, to get the contract. So I, I don't want to say I'm cynical, but like you, I completely agree. We're, we're going to have to get the, bring forces to bear to uh, get the process changed and the landscape changed from where it's at now. This episode of The Downline was brought to you by Dryden Diving. Whether you need wet welding done or just marine construction in general, Dryden Diving provides safe, efficient, experienced, and highly professional diving mechanics with documented training and skills required to get your job complete. Don't just hire a diver. Hire a mechanic that dives, one that goes above and beyond and even under pressure. To learn more, visit www.drydendiving.com or call at 856-467-1385. Dryden Diving. They dive to great depths to get your job done. Might have to bust out that rat suit, Olaf. Those are the good old days. It's it's funny. I it, during Halloween, I used to put that up in my front yard, and uh, the fifteen foot footer, and everybody used to come up the street and take pictures. Actually, the police used to come up the street to take pictures with the uh, the rat. But those, Phil, it's. So, and again, this is something that the members of the ADCI are looking at and saying, hey, you know what? Listen, the UBC is a very valuable resource, not just on the ability for, for us to recruit divers, to train divers, uh, to uh, you know, support level playing fields for, for both non-union and union contractors, right? But this, this point of offshore wind, and again, we support offshore wind. We do. We support it. We want to make sure that these jobs, all of the available jobs that, that are coming from offshore are, are met through an American workforce. And if certain parts of those tasks we cannot meet right now, we certainly want to address. We have shown time and time again through uh, our training efforts, our uh, ESD school, buying a dive school, 
Now we, we actually perform our own GWO, Global Wind Organizational Training. That was another safety training that was implemented by the th- – so we're, we're doing it. Our money is where our mouth is. But at the end of the day, if we – and it's where there's smoke, there's fire. And I tell people all the time, I, I'm not making this stuff up. We get calls from contractors because of this. We have to engage the, the developers. And I, I make calls. I reach out to the labor relations managers and the developers have very good people in those positions. And sometimes you just got to, you know, break it down and get to the next person to be able to show, right? Or, because they're really not going to do anything unless there's some pressure. And unless we work together on this to be able to show the elected officials that this is what's going on because the elected officials support it, right? Everyone knows that there's climate change. We, we support combating climate change. There's a lot of resiliency projects that are coming online, but again, I, I try, I hope I will never feed into the conspiracy theory of, of them doing this because they want their, their chosen contractors to do the work. Time and time again, I've told elected officials, I've told stakeholders in the industry, we have every contract, basically every contractor that you need to be able to provide those services. And on the heavy lifts, the installation vessels, the jack-up vessels, obviously the United States has not been putting up wind farms, so we're in the process of building those vessels. Our people, our men and women can do that work. We can do it now. We're going to do it in the future and through uh, the ADCI and, and dive contractors and, and, you know, other union contractors, we're going to do the work, but nothing easy, Phil. <laughs> it's nothing is easy. So yeah, we're, we're going to continue to pursue this. You're absolutely right. And, and I, I've got uh, one more, one more question, but I'm going to give Gary an opportunity. I, I know you had something that you wanted to say, Gary, so I'll kind of turn it over to you. Oh, thanks. No, I was just wondering, are, are there any major gaps that you can see that the U.S. companies have versus some of the foreign companies that are trying to mandate this uh, or do the work or have their guys selected for that certain work? So, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to deny there's some gaps, but we continue to work with our contractors and the contractors continue to work with the developers because, you know, European standards, uh, you know, they, they say the European standards are higher than the American standards. I get very upset when I hear that. I completely disagree. So in regards, just to throw some acronyms at, at, at you, GWO, OEUK, Physical, Chester Step, Soma Rigging Qualification, Hewitt, SDCW, and the list goes on and on and on. So as we are being educated from the wind developers and their contractors is that we're meeting all of these additional requirements for safety training. And and John Dunderdale out of Local 56 and Chris Sorensen and, and Adam Arkin out of New York, which have projects for both Orsted uh, and Vineyard Wind are doing a phenomenal job because every time they get a call and like, all right, we, we're doing this or we change that, they bob and weave and they respond and they get the job done. And the people that they have been sending out there have all these qualifications. So I wouldn't necessarily call it a skills gap. I would call it additional training education that 
um, outside of our standards, the United States standards, is what they're requiring. So the contractors that can do the work which they have been doing outside of the installation vessel because there are no American-made or American Jones Act compliant uh, vessels yet, but we're going to get to that point. But our workforce, and just to give you a little case in point is, I won't mention names, this company that is doing a uh, offshore wind uh, turbine installation in the Northeast got a report back to uh, John, John, I'll leave it at that, and said, hey, you know what, you guys, you guys know how to, how to work. You guys have skills. I'm like, of course we do. This is what we've been saying all along. It's like, great. Oh, you guys can put scaffold together. You can weld. You can rig. You, you, you know how to drive pile? Yeah, no crap. We're pile drivers, right? So this is, and again, this is going back to this stigma or this, this nonsense about people throwing this out there and saying, all right, here come the lazy union guys, right? Unfortunately, we got to work with the unions here and just, you know, put them off in the corner somewhere. Now, because this is the focus of the UBC is focusing on having the, the best quality, best skilled, most productive workforce. And it's clearly showing because this contractor came back to them and said, we're really impressed with your people. They know what they're doing. They do it safe. They listen to instructions. They're qualified. They're proficient. And through that, they're actually now getting more positions and different spots on these vessels because of it. So it goes back to like this misnomer, like, oh, yeah, okay. So, But my question is like, who started that? Who started that whisper campaign? Well, right. and you know, just so that you, just to kind of kind of keep things in perspective too, when you look at some of the folks that are coming from the other side of the pond with these perceptions about the union here in the United States, they're kind of basing that on their adversarial experience with unions, you know, uh, in the North Sea, because and in the UK and, and and other places outside of the US, because you know, and from my vantage point, everything that I've heard is is that yes, it took us quite a few years before we were able to work with the unions, and they understood, and we understood kind of um, their approach and where they were coming from. And I'm not talking about the UBC; I'm talking about the unions outside of the U.S. And uh, that was very contentious. It was very contentious. It was very, um, it, it was very difficult. And so they, they're coming over, assuming that, that it's going to be the same way and the dynamics are going to be exactly the same. And as opposed to kind of keeping an open mind and not making any assumptions and how about just dealing with the folks that are now in front of you and then you can make your assessment at that point. So there is a lot of that that feeds into this as well. Good point. And also I like to, to always talk about the infrastructure being built in shore, the worst, the piers, the factories, EW monopile facility, the Windport in Southern New Jersey, uh, the, the infrastructure being built down in Trade Point Atlantic, down in Baltimore, Rhode Island, Connecticut, 
These are all projects that are being done by union general contractors and subcontractors utilizing the union crafts. And there's, there's no issues. But this is what we've always been um, advertising, and this is what we're always saying to developers, that you're, pu- you're putting way too much thought into this. We have this. We've been building for over 140 years between our membership and our, our partner contractors. We have this. So it, it's frustrating uh, getting to the point of offshore, we, we want 100% of the jobs. We do. We think that we are quite capable. We're showing that right now. We're that uh, this, we're displaying the benefits of UBC members offshore every day, and we're proud of that. And we're going to continue to strive for a higher percentage. And also working with you, Phil, and your contractors to be able to make sure the elected officials understand what developers are trying to do as far as to push aside the high standards, the high American standards, especially the ABCI, if it's a Coast Guard or Army Corps or, you know, whoever. But we'll, we'll continue to work with you on that to combat that. Well, uh, so that kind of falls right in, into kind of my next question. Um, so how do you see the relationship between both the UBC and ADCI in the future? Like, how does Olaf see that? I, I see it stronger. I see it uh, on, a, on a greater scale because as we continue to work together and the, the rest of the membership seeing how we work with you and interact with your members that are not necessarily, you know, signatory to, to the Carpenters is that that's going to take some time to kind of build that relationship and that confidence is because if you want to partner with a trade union that is going to, to give you the best bang for the buck and to be able to rely on the union for, for workforce and divers and tenders and dock builders and to be able to train them on a, on a, a moment's notice, that's, that's the important thing there, right? The benefit, because as long as your members are seeing how we kind of interface with you and your members, and it was pretty cool out at the ITC at your board meeting, we had the opportunity to talk to a couple companies that don't have affiliation with the UBC. And it was just a really cool and calm conversation. And, you know, on display, right? What we do is on display and we're very proud of that. So the future the relationship with the UBC, with you, Phil, and the ADCI is going to be bigger and it's going to be stronger, without a doubt. Well, that, that makes me feel very good to hear that because um, one of the things that I've yet to approach the, the board about, um, and so I'm kind of going out on a I'm, I'm not necessarily writing a check, but I'm kind of sticking my neck out. I usually like to be very calculating about saying anything before I bring it before the entire board. But I really see a solid formal MOU between both the UBC and ADCI uh, coming in the not too distant future as we start to embark upon looking at uh, fair work, fair worker issues. And in the U.S., uh, and we start to expand our focus on training as well as 
uh, diver safety, it only makes sense that we get into, we formalize that relationship between the two entities. And I don't anticipate any pushback from folks on our end uh, with that because of the focus of it and how it benefits the industry as a whole, union or non-union. I'm excited to hear that. Uh, you know, it's something that we've, and again, it goes back to uh, Frank Spencer and Bobby Laufenberg and when they first started to uh, have conversations with you, Phil, is that <laughs> we, there were some people saying, hey, what are you doing, you know, looking to partner up with the EDCI and, you know, don't you guys have differences? And I said, sure. We're human. We're all human. We all have differences of opinion. But actually, when you start to have a sit down conversation and I think it was the first time we, we were at the Hampton Inn across the street from the convention center having a drink and just shooting the shit. And it was really cool. And that's how you actually build a relationship and build confidence and trust is that at the end of the day, you, you have a relationship or a partnership because you mutually can help one another. And I think that as long as the members are seeing how the UBC conducts itself and how we approach the industry. And again, it's, we're talking about a lot of the things that the UBC and, and the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters does, and especially with prevailing wage, right? You think about prevailing wage, a lot of people think, oh my God, PLAs are prevailing wage. Prevailing wage should not be a third third rail issue. Prevailing wage is something that is is put into place and the unions have fought for and fight every day to maintain that because that's, that is a value in and of itself. And it values the fact that you can have workers make a fair living wage, a prevailing wage, be able to provide for themselves and their family to stay locally, but it also benefits the non-union contract because the industry has a stable set of wages and fringe benefits. So these, these are the things that we hold very dear to our heart and we fight every day for. And again, that this is something that, that goes a long way saying, who works on a prevailing wage job? I would probably, it's safe to say that probably most of the American members of the ADCI have worked on a, a prevailing wage job from time to time. So I, I just, I'm excited that the, the, uh, to see the growth and to see how we strengthen the relationship, because I think that, you know, the universe, the stars, you know, that that's where we definitely want to wind up. But I will always tell people in the industry when they come to me and, and have that kind of puzzled look on their face and saying, what are you guys doing with the ADCI? They're a good friend. Phil's a good friend, right? And we, we have a lot in common. We're fighting for the same things. We're fighting for industry standards that are, are things that are going to be beneficial for divers, union and non-union, and tenders, and the industry and the contractors, right? Because contractors, at the end of the day, they want to make money. I've never met a contractor that said, I got into business just for the heck of it because I want to be tortured and I want to have anxiety and stress. No, it's you got into business to make money. So we... We're a partner, and that's the UBC leadership. General President McCarran, along with Frank and everyone else, is that the ITC teaches this and trains this every day to our membership. What it's like to be an employer. Because when I was in the field, I would tell people, listen, you have to give 
eight hours. The employer pays you a good wage, a good benefit. You have to work. You don't have to work hard. You don't. You have to work smart. Because when you work smart, you're productive and you're safe. Well, I, I, and I also, you know, to that point, you're, you're going back and you're looking. There was one other. It's interesting because as I look back at it now in 2023, I remember in 2015 and 2017 when we would have the NOSAC meetings as the Coast Guard was looking to uh, revise their the, the CFR, 46 CFR, we would have folks come from back east and sit in on those NOSAC meetings. And it was very adversarial, lot, lots of suspicion there in terms of, wait a minute, we're looking to go ahead and create all this offshore-centric uh, legislation. And I go, well, but this is, they're dealing with, you know, the, the Coast Guard isn't dealing with inland, you know, it's dealing with the outer continental shelf, guys. So, so it's going to have these things in place. And the first thought was, well, no, whatever the Coast Guard writes, OSHA adopts it after that. And I said, no, actually, they're not. But it, it was all, you know, everything was kind of based upon suspicion and what folks uh, assumed would happen if the Coast Guard went down a certain direction. And, you know, you just circle back after a couple of UIs and a couple of meetings and some discussion. And now the guys that, you know, in, in 2015, 2017, that maybe uh, were, were not very trusting you're right. Now, some of those guys, I'm first name basis, speed dial on the cell phone and I see them and it's just, you know, kind of a bro hug as opposed to just uh, a wave and then I'm off to my side of the room. So, and it, I think, you know, it's, it's some of those things that people don't see. Some of those offline conversations in meetings that probably are moving the needle, the needle just as much is any MOU or any formal meeting that we have, because in the end, it's kind of building trust. And without that, all of this other stuff that we're talking about, it's really not going to be very sustainable. What's sustainable arrangements and relationships are when that trust is there. And I think that we are at a all-time high right now, and hopefully we'll continue to progress in that direction to really address some of these issues that we talked about. I'm just super excited about that dive school. I mean, it's uh, I, I think it's going to be a game changer. UBC has always been great about meeting the demands of, of a of a uh, training for their workforce. I remember back West when I was a journeyman pile driver, um, we were starting to get into a lot of the solar stuff. And what did the UBC do? They immediately, you know, went into this mass training, trained up a bunch of our members and a lot of my friends, they started, you know, to do the solar training and stuff. And a lot of them came out of that job as like foremen and, and uh, just so much experience all at once. And it happened quick. You know, I think it was a Bechtel job, I think is who, who was doing it out there. But uh, yeah, so they were like the first, you know, foremost major, you know, solar solar plant out there that, that was uh, all done by the UBC, which was amazing. And I don't see anything different as far as our wind farms are concerned, especially with the new dive school opening up. And uh, yeah, just uh, we are going to be able to meet the demands, right? 
I mean, we can say I, that definitively, Olaf. Absolutely. And, and I share your enthusiasm and excitement. And again, think about the opportunity for a young man or woman getting, it doesn't have to be young, but a, a man or a woman having an interest in becoming a commercial diver. Coming in off the street or coming from the military, one of our hero veterans, and the ability to actually get into uh, a, um, a program with the Carpenters Union, the Eastern Atlantic States, uh, to the dive school. And basically, that's a pre-apprenticeship program. So the individual gets into the uh, dive, uh, dive training. They graduate as an entry-level ADCI diver, and then they segue into the four-year apprenticeship program for a career that they're going to have and they're going to have a very good career that they're going to make um, very good money. They'll take care of their family, but they won't have any debt. No debt. It's amazing. Well, when you look at dive schools that have anywhere from twenty dollars to $35,000 worth of tuition of debt, an individual for the dive school under EST school is that person, if they meet the certain criteria over time, which we expect everyone to do it, won't incur any debt whatsoever. Once we have this first class going through September, this is going to go viral. And individuals that have an interest in wanting to become a commercial diver are going to be coming to the dive to the EAS dive school in southern New Jersey. And again, it, it's credit to Frank and Bobby and, and EST school ESC Sproul is uh, not just because he's my boss, he's, he's an inspirational leader for the Carpenters because every time that he has seen an opportunity for the benefit of his membership and for the contractors that are affiliated with us, he's jumped on it immediately. And it, these are lo very large investments that cost a lot of money. But in the end, the, the response that we're hearing from the contractors is nothing short of, of uh, you know, positive. Well, I, I know in terms of this whole issue of trust and building of relationships between the association uh, in UBC, but also getting folks that are non-union just to truly understand the mission of the UBC uh, and look at the union through a clear lens, whether, you know, that works for you or not. Look at it through a clear lens I think venues like uh, Underwater Intervention and the Workboat Show, which kick off in November, I know a lot of your folks are showing up there. And that, that type of networking, being out on the floor, just talking to someone or, or providing a presentation on the, the new school itself upstairs and, uh, you know, uh, through a white paper, um, all of that, I think, is going to help further the um, education of non-union contractors. And it's also going to help educate folks on the union side to see, hey, I can understand why these guys aren't in union shop. They, they're checking all of the boxes on their own. So that works for them. And, but still the ability to network and develop that relationship because you never know when they're going to come on to a particular uh, project or a job where a certain percentage of the folks that have to work that project have to be union divers. And so why wait until that day when, when that day comes? 
foster that relationship now, network, kind of involve yourself in it so that you know who are, who do I need to call if I've got some questions about this. And now you're not coming in cold. You're coming in already having somewhat of a relationship or I met that guy. He's down in in Boston. Let me give him a call or, or email him. I think I still have his card. All of that, I think, goes a long way to furthering um, the, you know, the things that we've talked about over the course of the last hour. We're actually we're starting to get calls from non-union contractors, uh, especially over the announcement of the dive school and the things that we're doing uh, regarding commercial divers and tenders, which is a, a good thing because at the end of the day, they <laughs> they had the initiative to make the call, and it's it's to some that that's I shouldn't say it's frightening, but <laughs> it's out of the norm for them, and they call and they're like, "How can we help you?" Right, you know, it's the old, uh, it's the old joke about you know I'm from the uh, my name is Olaf I'm from the union I'm here to help. We are, we're actually here to help. <laughs> so, we're here to turn your workers against you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> is that no, what they no. think? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they used to say. But when they see the, the non-union contractors, the unaffiliated contractors, are seeing the investments that we're making for the dive school training new divers, getting divers out into the market, into the Northeast, you know, GWO, offshore winds, the ability not just to tap into the resources for a commercial diver or tender, but if you needed carpenters, right? If you needed carpenters or you need millwrights, right? That's what what, the UBC is like a one-stop shop for many, many different skilled trades people, right? We have one trade, many craft, right? So the contract, the, the unaffiliated contractors are starting to see, hey, you know what? There, there's there is value there. And again, we always maintained we maintain the fact that we don't want to run someone's company. We want to add value. We want to partner with them. We want to be able to fight for industry standards alongside them. We want to be able to provide the most highly trained and skilled and proficient and valuable commercial divers and tenders. That's that's the partnership because at the end of the day, that's what we have to hang our hat on, right? Because people say, well, what do I get by partnering with you? Well, we're union. What does that mean? That doesn't that won't that won't even get you on the bus anymore, right? Is when we can display and articulate everything that we have to offer a contractor, and for that contractor to be able to actually start making more money, profiting more, getting into different market shares where they traditionally haven't worked in, that opportunity in and of itself is huge. So we're going to continue on that that path because that path has led us to, to great success. And it is quantified in the amount of contractors that are, are, that are uh, initiating new partnerships, signing agreements. Our membership uh, with the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters are growing. Our commercial divers and tenders and backbuilders are growing. Our numbers, our benefit hours, our market share is growing. Just like the same metrics that every contractor looks at, the union looks at. And we have, you know, constant growth. Well, Olaf, I very much want to thank you for taking the time to join us, um, kind of help educate everybody that has come on our uh, 
our podcast ship that, uh, you know, on, on the mission of the UBC and who you are and, and the relationship between the UBC and the ADCI. Um, I don't know if Armando or Gary have any other questions, but, uh, I wanted to, I wanted to personally be able to thank you. And, uh, I look forward to continue to work with you and to see you guys at, uh, UI 2023. And I also plan to be present the certification cards to the first graduates of the school here. Once, Huge. once that thank day you. comes, that's going to be in, great. Come in for graduation and present the cards. That's going to be spectacular. Uh, Phil and, and Amarando and Gary, thank you very much for the opportunity for myself and my wonderful organization to be able to speak to you and to, you know, all of your members and ev everyone out there listening about the ADCI and the UBC's partnership and how we're going to continue to strengthen that and grow it to be a force to be, uh, to benefit contractors and, and divers and, and, and tenders. Also, I, I would like to tell you that uh, Bobby Lofferberg sends his very best to you <laughs> and your family and everyone. And um, uh, Frank Spencer also, along with uh, Executive Secretary Treasurer William Spruill. So we greatly appreciate you. Thank you. I, I miss those guys, but uh, they left things in some good hands when, once they stepped away. So with that, again, Olaf, I want to thank you. Um, Gary, anything else? Do you want to mention who our sponsors were for this episode? Uh, yeah, so th thank you to uh, Don Dryden from Dryden Diving and also Justin at JF Brennan um, for sponsoring this episode. Uh, did have a question for you. If people have overall general questions about the union, where should they go or who should they contact? Is there a website or... There, there is a website, general website, U, the UBC Carpenters, and then if it's, it depends on where it is. I mean, at, if Phil will tell you anytime if you want to give my number, and they could always call me and ask about questions, and maybe they're, they're out of the Northwest. I will certainly put them in touch with the appropriate representative to be able to uh, take care of them, whatever their needs might be. So, and again, going back to it, it's not just contractors, it's, it's divers or tenders. And if they have a question, you know, we're, we're a big tent. So you can, you can provide my, I can give you my number now if you want. It's 917-525-7681. Well, I approve this message. <laughs> All right. Cause you're going to get some calls now. <laughs> Come down to our dive school. It's not going to cost you a penny. It's something really, really spectacular. Which local are you guys running the dive school out of? We're running the dive school out of a uh, local power driver, uh, orphan dock builder diver, 474 out of the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council. Club. Nice. nice perfect. But the cool thing about that in the Eastern District is New York City is going to be next uh, up for 12 uh, additional students after our class and then Boston. And then I think there's, there is talk now about the Midwest actually tapping into uh, the util utilization of the dive school. And Phil, I did talk to a couple of dive contra contractors yesterday. They have a great interest in the ROV training too. A lot of interest. So it's going to be a game changer. I suspect that will only grow. Yeah. 
So we'll be accommodating them also. Obviously, it's probably going to be better to suit or serve them probably in December or January, February when they're a little bit slower. But there's a lot of interest in there. So it's an evolutionary process that's trending in the right direction without a doubt. And if I may, I just wanted to give a plug to Don Dryden and to Justin from Jeff Brennan, two spectacular UBC dive contractors that we not just call partners, but they're really, really good friends. So we appreciate them a lot. Awesome. Olaf, if you can stick around a little bit afterwards, I'd definitely like to ask you a couple off-air questions. So. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone. All right. Thank you. Take Olaf, care. enjoy the rest, rest of your Sunday, buddy. Take care. Okay, we'll cut the grass. And, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll be talking. We'll be Thanks, talking. So appreciate you. Uh, All right. Thank you. Thanks, Olaf. All right, guys, signing out.